When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. The Eye Test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy. The Stanley Cup winning Colorado Avalanche. And after 22 years, Raymond The Sickest NHL Podcast. It's going to be sick. And welcome to another edition of The Eye Test here on The Sick Podcast Network. I'm Jimmy Murphy. This is Pierre Maguire here, and it's going to be another edition of Press Box Thursday here, our third one on the eye test. And Pierre, we've got a heck of a guest lined up, don't we? Yeah, the great Doc Emmerich's going to be joining us, and I do not know where he is. I don't know if he's in Port Huron, Michigan, where he usually makes his home. Sometimes he's in Florida, or maybe he's parts unknown with his magnificent wife, Joyce. We'll see. Uh, where we'll find the doctor, but uh, yeah, amazing. You know, Jimmy, just to show you what kind of a gentleman the doc is, I texted him and said, would you mind coming on with Jimmy Murphy and I? And he said, what day? And I said, well, Thursday would be great. All right, done. Pretty much I'm going, I'm not verbatim, but pretty close. And uh, this morning when I text him, just I said, friendly reminder, you're on with us today. He goes, I feel really badly, but I don't have really good Wi-Fi here. So I won't be able to do it with a picture. And I said, well, don't worry about that, Doc. We need your voice. Yeah. You know, your, your voice is amazing. And so <laughs> he's he really, I don't think the, the NHL understood enough how great he really was at his job. Yeah. And I think now, no disrespect meant to the guys doing it now, but now – that he's been gone for three or four years, I think they realized, man, we had a gem. Like we knew he was good. Now we know how good he really was. He, he was an institution here. I mean, that's what he was. He was, he was just a part of the fabric of the game as, as was, were you and NBC uh, doing their broadcast there. And look, I, I know that uh, a lot of people have uh, embraced and, and Hey, everyone's entitled to their own opinion, like TNT and like ESPN and, you know, I applaud them for the job they're doing, but still, I just, I'm, I myself felt like it, it was just the, the fit was perfect. You know what I mean? Like you guys, since you came back from the lockout and NBC came in, the fit was perfect. And whether it was when you were versus or on to NBC, it just had this feel about it where it's like when you thought NHL, you thought Doc Emmerich. You know, I think that's that's kind of the feel we got. Now, of course, hey, time goes on, time moves on, generations change, and that's part of the that's part of the game, that's part of life. Um, but you're absolutely right. Like they they lost a legend 
on Doc Emmerich. And I, I'm so excited to have him on right now. I, every conversation I've ever had with him, like you just were saying what a great person he is. He's not the type like, you know, I see so many people appear and you too in this business. You see him in the press box. You see him at the ranks. Hey, how you doing? How you doing? No, no, no. When you walk by Doc, you're not getting by him because he's going to sit there and he's going to talk to you and he's going to make you feel part of his day. He's going to make you feel like you're part of his day and he'll have a great story to tell you what have it. And it's just he's such a class act, like you said, and uh, I'm really excited to have him on. We did a lot of Olympics together, uh, both summer and winter. Um, and one in particular that I remember we were in Torino and we were play, staying at a hotel called the Turn Palace. It was nice. It was a, it was a nice hotel. And okay. right next door, there was a great coffee shop, really, really nice coffee shop. And Doc likes his coffee, but he usually likes it black. Uh -huh. So I went in one day before, I'm going to say like two or three days into the Olympics and uh, I think we were doing two or three games a day. So, you know, the, the Olympics is everybody thinks, oh, you just go and you have fun. The Olympics are some serious hard work, especially for the play-by-play -play guy. Doc was really working. So I went and I said, oh, how, that looks good with that gentleman ordered. You know, I can't speak Italian, but I pointed. I said, yeah, that looks good. So he, I said, two, one for me and one for my partner. I'm going to bring it to him. We're taking the bus to the to the rink. And I said, Doc, I got you this coffee. And I he goes, oh, and he saw it. It wasn't black. It had milk in it. Oh, and he drank it. He goes, actually, that's quite good. <laughs> it, was, it was a latte. But I didn't know it was a latte at the time. Right, right. And so every day that was part of our, our thing where I would go to the yeah. coffee shop and get a coffee and for yeah. him and for me. And we'd have a latte on the way to the rink. It was great. Oh, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. Well, before we get to Doc, and speaking of announcers, Pierre, you're alerting me to a great call uh, in the Avalanche Caps game, of course, Nathan McKinnon, second time this season. Uh, and you've got an interesting stat to tell us about there. Uh, gets four goals uh, in a game. And when he got his fourth goal, this was the call. Let's go. This is Mark Moser on the uh, Avalanche Network. Correct. Oh, she is out. Now we're four on four. McKinnon, high slot, look, shoot, and scores! I thought Mark Moser's call was great. I'm watching that last night against yeah. the Washington Capitals. I'm going, you know, he gets to see a lot of high-quality goals. That's just such a great offensive team. There was a probably a better goal in the game, uh, Kale McCarr, to start that game for, for uh, Colorado with a shorthanded goal after an Ovechkin turnover. I mean, it was a spectacular goal, but it was just the way he said, the Mac trick. It was so natural. It was yeah. such a great call. And, and the stat that Jimmy's alluding to, Michelle Goulet, who's been on our show before, and and uh, Nathan McKinnon are the only two players in Quebec Nordique, Colorado Avalanche history to actually score twice in one season four goal games. So two Mac tricks for Goulet, two Mac tricks for obviously McKinnon. But I think there's one only one other player in the history of the league that's done it, and he was playing last night, Alexander Ovechkin. Wow. Yeah, and, and by the way, 2007, 2008, right in there. So okay. it's not something where you score everybody's, you know, some guys get hat tricks, some guys get multiple hat tricks in a season. But to do four goals twice in one season, it's pretty amazing. You know, you still got 30 something games left for a lot of, for McKinnon in particular. He can do that again. Yeah, I mean, he's, he, we talk every week, we talk about who's having great seasons, who could be up for the heart. I mean, in, in, every week, 
he's the he's the front runner still. It's it, it's been consistent to me that yeah. he's he's hands down the front runner. There's some great candidates out there, but what he's doing in Colorado is pretty unbelievable. And Pierre, like like we said repeatedly as well, if they can figure out their goaltending, that's the team to beat in the playoffs. I know the Edmonton Oilers are on a heater of for the ages right now. I get it, and they can make it 15 in a row tonight. I understand that. But when you look at if you add a goalie to that team versus if you add a, a goalie to Edmonton, I still see Colorado as being the more complete team and winning. And I see somebody here, uh, Alex Evanowski, saying, you know, that Edmonton and Colorado could meet up again um, in the Western Conference final as they did in 2022. Um, I, I would take Colorado at this point, depending on the goalie situations. Yeah, if if your team gets a goalie, I think it's a complete crapshoot. <laughs> I think they're both loading up to try to get a goalie, honestly. And again, look at both teams are playing really well right now, and they deserve a lot of credit, both coaching staffs, both teams. Um, there's a great quote um, from Jared Bednar, the coach of the Colorado Islands. I say this to people that are parents of hockey players or parents of would be hockey players or just people that love the game. Go read Jared Bednar's quote about Nathan McKinnon from last night's game, and he talks about. It's not just the way he plays, it's the way he carries himself. And I'm paraphrasing, but it's about his intensity, how he makes the players around him better, how he's always pushing himself to go to another level. And I know Nathan's – so if you look at his body of work, starting with a kid growing up in the Maritimes, going to Shattuck St. Mary's, eventually playing in the Quebec Major Junior League with Halifax, being a first overall pick. You know who he copied? Sidney Crosby. Did all those same steps. Every yep. single step. And so who's McKinnon competing against? He's competing against himself and his mentor, Sidney Crosby, and he lives to it every single day. So if you go see that quote from Jared Bednar, and he, he doesn't talk about the Crosby comparable, I'd throw that in. Right. I, I bring it in there just to show how great Nathan is. And, and really, Nathan's a great player. He's, he really is. But he's the most, he might be, Jimmy, and I know I've said this to you often, and I think I may have said it to you on, in all the time it did inside the glass with the great Doc Emmerich and Andy Olchuk and John Davidson, of all the time I did it, and it's close to 1,500 games. It might even be 2,000. Who knows? I'm just telling you, the most intense guy I ever saw down there was Nathan McKinnon. It wasn't even close. It, yeah. There's nobody I've seen since 0506 that's been as, as intense as Nathan McKinnon. I hear you. Well, the man you just referenced that you did work with for so long – on the NHL and NBC, a legend in our business of broadcasting. Joining us right now is Mike Doc Emmerich. Doc, how are you, my friend? Jimmy, good. Good to talk to you. Uh, so Nathan only got numbers 27, 28, 29, and 30, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he's so he's up to 82 points now, and and it's he and Cooch and nobody else. It looks like it's a big gap between two and three. It's yep. fun to see guys excel like this. And when they're quality human beings, that's that's pretty impressive, too. Pierre, it's good to hear from you. Um, I, I, it's only You're only 90 feet away, and I can't see you very well through the snow. But what's the quality of ice here in Ann Arbor today? <laughs> and Doc's referencing what we were doing at the Winter Classic way back when, and that was a cold one. There were 108,000 people at the Big House in Michigan. And Doc, I don't know how you did that year in, year out, but man, oh, man, you never missed a beat. Unbelievable how great you were at all the things, but especially the Winter Classic. Well, it was a lot of fun. We had uh, we had Detroit and Toronto that day, and Toronto's bus almost didn't get there in time for the warm-up because of the snow and all the traffic. And 
one thing I'll never forget among a number of others that day was that uh, the weather was such that the teams had to divide the sudden death overtime. Mm -hmm. And it was five minutes long and very close to the two and a half minute mark. And of course, the fans weren't aware. Most of the fans weren't aware of this. Henrik Zetterberg gets a clean breakaway and he gets to almost the hash marks in the Toronto zone and the horn sounds. And and fans didn't understand what that was about. Well, that, that was the halfway mark and Hank would have probably buried it and that would have been the game. But as it turned out, Toronto won. Uh, many memories uh, shared with Pierre back through time, including the, uh, the most unlikely but certainly deserved uh, MVP ever in an all-star game in Nashville, John Scott. And Pierre got the interview with him after the game. Yeah. And it was priceless because John's wife and little baby were standing on the railing right above the two of them uh, when they had that interview. It was another one of the countless memories. Oh, my God. You're you are priceless. But, you know, Jimmy, I just want to say one thing. I hear imitations of finest form of flattery. And one of the things I hear a lot when I'm watching games, you know, I watch a lot of games, as you know, mm -hmm. is where announcers say with the game on his stick, nobody ever utilized that line or created that line except for the great Doc Emmerich. And he did that at the Winter Classic in Buffalo, New York with Sidney Crosby. And, Doc, that is an iconic line that will live forever and ever and ever. It was awesome. Well, thank you. I, I only did it twice, and both times it was with Sid. Uh, the other time was in an overtime in Philadelphia, and uh, of all things, uh, Sid had fewer teeth in that game than when he started the game, um, <laughs> uh, courtesy of uh, the esteemed dentist, uh, Mr. Hatcher, uh, in the first period, and then there was a beautiful outlet passed to him in sudden death overtime, and I thought to use it then. So it was only twice, but it is, it is an honor that someone thinks to repeat it now and then. But uh, I don't know about you guys, Jimmy and Pierre, but um, when I was thinking in the fall uh, and all the training camps opened, uh, I certainly had, at this point in the year, I had Vancouver with 32 wins and 15 on the road. <laughs> and I had Edmonton with 14 straight and still 14 points behind Vancouver. And I had... I had uh, Winnipeg with the best goals against in the league and leading their division. <laughs> Gosh, it's been it's been amazing this year, hasn't it? It's been yeah. a wonderful year for the Canadian teams. I mean, you've got Matthews on a pace for 70 uh, yeah. or close to 70, if not 70. I mean, and who would have thought Alex would have uh, single digits and goals uh, the last time I checked? But that's what makes it interesting. And uh, I was just looking at something today uh, with uh, Chicago going into Edmonton. And uh, I have great affection, as I know you do, Pierre, for the many times we were in Chicago. We always got to see Troy Murray in the hallway. And yeah. of all things, I noticed, uh, courtesy of the longtime Los Angeles Kings producer, Bob Morgan, he, he had all of these interesting notes in history. 35 years ago tonight, Chicago went into Edmonton and Troy Murray had a goal and three assists. The Blackhawks beat the Oilers six to three and they had three shorthanded goals. That doesn't mean a thing about what's going to happen tonight, but it's kind of interesting with Troy being in the booth uh, tonight. Hopefully that uh, that he can think back in history in a different arena uh, that was at the edge of town with that one 
um, with that one farmer's grain elevator at the edge of the parking lot. Remember that? <laughs> uh, anyway, I've taken, I've run us off the tracks again. Uh, so what do you guys want to talk about? <laughs> That's what makes you so great. And Jimmy, I don't know if you were ever in Northlands Coliseum in Edmonton, Jimmy. I was iconic there. building that needed to be replaced, but so many amazing memories. I remember doing the Carolina Edmonton series with Doc and John Davidson at the time. And Fernando Pisani was the hero of the series to a certain Yeah. And Doc, if you remember, I remember standing at Center Ice, you threw it down to me. I was interviewing Christopher Pronger. And I had coached Chris when he was 19. I was first ever NHL coach that ever had him. And I said to him before the interview, I said, really appreciate you doing this, Chris. I mean, this is really unique. And he goes to me, if you and Doc and John are here, it means it's a big game. So I'm looking forward to doing the interview. <laughs> and, and then Doc said, like, hit Pronger in the hip. I said, we got to get going here, big boy. Let's go. <laughs> was, that the, uh, was that the game in which he had the penalty shot? I uh, don't remember that, Doc. Yeah, that, he had he had one during that series right. uh, for the Oilers, but I, I can't remember whether it was that game or not. But I remember uh, uh, Mr. Game 7 wound up getting an empty net goal mm -hmm. at the end. And yeah. Carolina, oddly enough, on, on Andy Griffith's 80th birthday, <laughs> Carol, of, of all things, a North Carolinian through and through, uh, they won They won the Stanley Cup that night. And Charles Caton, who uh, I know was a guest on your show, yes. I, had, I had gotten uh, in anticipation that they might win. I wouldn't have given it to him had they not, because he would have not felt like it. But I, th uh, I leaned over, and when Williams scored that goal, I threw Chuck Caton a cigar. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jimmy, Jimmy, just so you understand the inside joke there, I'll take you inside baseball. When I coached Hartford, Chuck and I would always drive to the airport together. And I would always say, Chuck, I prefer to take my car because your car smells like a cigar. And he, he, he would never stop smoking cigars. Like Red Arbach, huh? <laughs> He is one of the all-time classics, and you know, you mentioned earlier that uh, one of the one of the things that I had said that other people use. So anyway, um, you tell me how much time we have because I I can easily uh, sidewind us into the ditch here. But anyway, so uh, there's a game in Hartford, and it's a back-to-back, -back, and Bill Clement and I uh, have the second game of the two. So we're we're just watching the game and we decided to leave early so outside the hartford civic center there's this hot dog cart so we're outside uh getting a hot dog and the game's not over yet but the guy at the hot dog cart he's got the game on and chuck's describing the game and it's late in the game and hartford's behind by one and so they pull the goaltender and i'm overhearing chuck describe uh how it's going and he said and so uh, the net's empty and uh, the Whalers advance to center and they dump it in and they pour in after it. And I thought, what a wonderful description of a team trying to get in with the, with the, and get the loose puck. So uh, Chuck is well aware that I've stolen that from him and used it on a number of occasions, but we all borrow from one another. Oh, yeah. man. Uh, Doc, I want to ask you, cause uh, a, a friend of mine and I've done some work with him as well. He hosts the ice guys podcast, a gambling podcast, but He's in the chat room here and he's just going through all the different, uh, 
he said the doc dictionary of words, and he's got drugged, nubbed, pitched. Oh, yeah. Filtered, skyhook, yeah. hoisted, spirited, wedge, and so on. Doc, I, you just talked how you borrow them and you guys switch them off between different broadcasters as well. But I'm wondering how many of those just came to you right in the moment and how many maybe did you know ahead of time that we, you were going to use? Was it they all came? Time? Yeah, they all came in the moment. But um, okay. I'll tell you what, uh, I was in the IHL and I was going to uh, – Miami University, and I hadn't gotten to be a professional announcer yet, I asked a guy who actually did spend a year in Washington doing Capitals games, Lyle Steig, who was then in Dayton of the IHL, mm -hmm. uh, if he had any advice. And he said, try to use different words for the same thing because we have so many repetitive, repetitive things in hockey. So I didn't write any of them down. But over 47 years of play-by-play, -play, you you wind up with a lot of things in your golf bag. And so I would try not to repeat them, and I would try not to use really long words that would be an insult to people. But um, I tried to have some variety, too, that wouldn't be too cute. Uh, and so variety was something that I, I tried to do. But uh, most of the time, you wouldn't find all of those happening at once. Uh, they were just spread out over uh, a greater period of time than you might think. But, yeah, they, that uh, somebody put together um, a rap song that used all of those at one time. And uh, I think uh, Larry Robinson, when he was coaching the Devils, came in and Stan Fischler, one of our um, yeah. one, one of our hosts, uh, had a had a, a thing called Chuck the Duck that would come down if a certain word were used in the intermission. And and uh, Larry looked up at the duck that was hanging there uh, that could be suspended at any time. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hang in there. We got him. Said, uh, we'll get him back. We'll get, yeah, him back. we'll get him back. How about is this priceless? Yeah, this is great. And by the way, that was that was gone bad. He has, no, he has no notes. This is all from recall. He's re and you were talking about a man that's on thousands, not hundreds, thousands of games. I know. And recall is mind shattering. And uh, one of the great things that I had the privilege of doing for sixteen years afternoons of games um, we would sit together probably get to the rink around 1 30 quarter to two face off would be anywhere from seven to eight o'clock as nbc tried to grow the western audience 
So they pushed right. the Eastern Conference back to eight o'clock. And so we, you know, we had a good five hours just hanging out, talking, you know, drinking coffee, going through notes, exchanging information on players or towns or things that are going on in hockey. And he, Doc was just the consummate pro. It was amazing, Jimmy. It was just amazing. Yeah. Oh, oh. You got him on TV. Here, 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 here I, I am. I, I have I have a terrible background. I don't know how this looks, but uh, uh, obviously I'm a front runner. <laughs> You're not your coach today. Uh, so this is this is actually for the hockey team. Uh, I like Michigan and Michigan State, and I like all hockey teams, but I happen to be wearing this today. Um, okay. I don't know the last time I was in Yost Field House. Perhaps, Pierre, you were with me. It was during another one of our many lockouts when we did college games. So anyway, I don't know how good a picture this is, but it's, if you can tolerate it for a few more minutes, and if I'm coming through okay, why, we'll live with this. Is that all right? Yeah, it's great, Doc. We're perfect. Okay. And it's, okay. it's very timely, too, considering what their football team just did. So there we go. <laughs> well, the team will be back. The coach will not. Okay. And so, the, team yeah. is, the team has been very good, despite yeah. everything that was going on and, and the sideshow. Hey, Pierre, uh, you know how much I, you know, I, I really cheer all these years. I only cheered for one, for one pro team that I still do, and that's the Fort Wayne Comets. Yes. And I'm not sure how much, Jimmy, you care about these sorts of things. But, no, I, uh, I do. Okay, good. Well, the Comets uh, have only had really two full-time announcers, Bob Chase and then uh, Shane. Um, and, and, oh, gee, I always mispronounce his last name. But he's a wonderful announcer who took over for Bob. Except, like myself, occasionally uh, he winds up uh, getting sore throats and, and um, laryngitis. So this weekend, uh, they had a young lady from Indiana Tech named Fiona Quinn, who became the first lady to ever do a Fort Wayne Comets game. She's 19 years of age, did a wonderful job. But uh, the part that I think you will appreciate, Pierre, is that uh, they have signed. Uh, why am I thinking that this might, this might seem like the last Oh, 15, 20 minutes of slap shot. They have signed a uh, 33-year-old Daniel Amesbury uh, from the Federal Prospects Hockey League and from Danbury. Uh, is, he is an enforcer uh, who had in 38 games 370 PIMS, uh, and he has a nickname, which I have never heard in hockey. It is called Diamond Hand. <laughs> uh, he will be he will begin playing on february 3rd uh why is that taking so long because he's currently under suspension uh, in the prior league that he was in yeah. so the comets uh the comets certainly have a box office draw and they have been around since 1952 they have been and they still are uh, my all-time favorite team even though i followed a lot of teams on a regular basis when i was in the nhl and Always appreciated the time that I spent with uh, the Devils and the Flyers and the New York Rangers. But uh, that's the one team that I grew up enjoying. The first game I ever saw live was there. And uh, you will be interested to know they are still in business. And uh, they saw a need uh, on the team. Bruce Boudreaux's uh, son coached there, won a championship there. Oh, okay. uh, he's not there now, Ben. 
But uh, anyway, the team decided they needed a little muscle. Uh, and so that's that's what they're doing. Why are you laughing, Pierre? The Dean of Discipline of the uh, league that you were alluding to, the Federal Prospects League, it's Dave Jackson, the former oh, NHL yeah. official. So I actually was talking to Dave the other day, and he was explaining to me about Diamond Hands, Doc, and how yes. Diamond Hands was wow. moving from Danbury to Fort Wayne. So I was actually okay. up on that story for you. Okay. Oh, my okay. gosh. I'm glad I'm not a player. <laughs> Dave's a great guy. Doc, I, I want to ask you, uh, it's it's not hockey, but I want to ask you about your passion for the Pittsburgh Pirates uh, because I know it's it's near and dear to your heart and, and you're still a huge Pirates follower. So if you could just tell our viewers a bit about how that came about. Well, it came about through radio. Uh, in 1959, um, I was going up and down the dial in rural Indiana. If you were to look at the state of Indiana, Indianapolis, it's dead center in the middle. And then if you were to draw a straight line north of that and take halfway of that, that's where I was in the cornfields. And uh, okay. our town was very similar to uh, the little town of Hickory in the movie Hoosiers. Mm -hmm. We had 13 celebrities in town, the coach and the 12 varsity players, <laughs> just like Hoosiers. Our coach was fired in mid-year. The students in high school walked out in protest, and three days wow. later, he was rehired. So that's what life was like. But uh, my brother and I were both baseball fans. We would go up and down the dial of the radio at night, picking up all of the stations that broadcast baseball. And uh, Bob Prince, who was the announcer for the Pirates, was really clever and cool. And by 1959, they had become a very good team and I latched on to them and I got to see them play that very year live in Chicago. And uh, I've been a fan ever since. In case you're writing this down or someone runs up to you on the streets of Canada and asks, the equipment truck leaves Pittsburgh for Bradenton on February the 6th. Uh -huh. <laughs> Love it. There you uh, go. The, the players who will wear that equipment come about a week later, pitchers and catchers, and hopefully the guys that will be in the uniforms will be better. Uh, they won 76 last year and far fewer the two years before. Hope springs eternal, right? That's yeah, a, I guess that's, that's what uh, March is for. Yeah, exactly. Jimmy, I have, to, I have to tell you this because I think Doc will appreciate it. Uh, Donald Fear used to be the head of the Baseball Players Union and the former National Hockey League Players Union. There are two famous people that were born in the Marion Hospital in Indiana. <laughs> One is Donald Fear. And one is the legendary Doc Emmerich. Oh, wow. Marion well, Donald was born two years later. Guys <laughs> in their hospital. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you have, a, you have a great memory, Pierre. Yes, that's yep. true. In the same wing of the archaic hospital, which has been expanded over a number of years. <laughs> but I, I've always, when I found that out, Doc shared that with me, and I marveled at that. I'm like, you couldn't have two more diametrically opposed people. It was just <laughs> amazing, amazing to me. And, Jimmy, i got to tell you, one of the best parts about my life with Doc Emmerich over 16 years was all these great places we went to and the history lessons I would learn. Mm -hmm. And one of the things was during the London Olympics, Doc and I went to the Tower of London. Oh. And <laughs> we, we, we did, right, Doc? We did. And yeah, he would uh, 
about a famous and person. Who, who talked whom into going down into the torture chamber? <laughs> you talked me into going. And, and Doc would explain to me about all these people in British history, and it was phenomenal. It was great life lessons. And one of them was Guy Fox. And mm -hmm. so every year on Guy Fox's birthday, I got a text from Doc. I do. <laughs> That's great. Hey, you know, Guy Fox was very clever, and people people don't care to know this, but Guy Fox was very clever. He was going to be executed for uh, plotting to blow up Parliament, but uh, he got to the scaffold and he beat them to it. He he dove off the scaffold and broke his neck in you know, on the on the uh, on the pavement, and so they they didn't have the. Uh, satisfaction of taking his life so i guess he beat them at the uh, at the game but i didn't realize that until pierre told me so uh yeah every every year we uh but but pierre talked me into going down into the uh there's one section that's down in the basement that that uh, shows all the various methods of torture and i hadn't seen some of those things since i was in fourth grade because i was sure that we had a fourth grade teacher that used them Oh, I hope you didn't have a nun like I did. Hey, <laughs> hey you know, you, you talk about Pierre, you just mentioned it, just all the different places you guys have gone. Well, I was just kind of going looking for old doc clips and stuff. Unfortunately, our, our production crew is in Canada. They didn't have the rights to use it, but I stumbled upon a trip you guys took into Permontes in Pittsburgh. Oh, and you, you, you doc went behind the counter and the, the gentleman there was making the sandwich, and Doc did the play-by-play -play of making the sandwich, and I just was dying. I thought it was great. It was it was just amazing. I'm thinking, man, I would love for Doc to do that as I as I make my uh, my food here. Uh, <laughs> best part of the best part of the day is Pierre and I went down there and we got to eat the sandwiches. Yeah, they yeah. are those things they are awesome. spectacular. Yeah, wow. they're absolutely they spectacular. <laughs> you know, but I imagine you guys have so many of those adventures, huh? Yeah, oh, yeah, we we did, and, and you know the Pierre was part of. People sometimes ask because uh, you know he did all the. He said fifteen hundred games. I imagine it's at least that, but he was part. Even though he was not on the telecast, he was part. People asked me about uh, if I if I had if I had to pick one. I always sort it down to ten. Uh, if I had to pick one game that stood out in my memory. It was not for anything that I said, but Pierre was part of it, even though he wasn't on our telecast that day. It was the gold medal game in 2010 in Vancouver. Uh, and as I said, it wasn't anything that stood out that I said or that Eddie said. Pierre was on uh, with uh, Chris Cuthbert and the gang in Canada that day, but we had the rights to use uh, post-game interviews that he had done on our show on NBC before we signed off. So anyway, this game was seen by more people in the United States mm -hmm. than any other game since 1980 in the Olympics. And part of the reason uh, had a lot to do with several things. One, it was just before the closing ceremony. So a lot of people that really didn't follow hockey in the U.S., had the television on. It was a Sunday afternoon in all time zones in the United States. Some of them were having Olympics parties or they just were having groups over. And it was the U.S. against Canada. And uh, the game, you know, was close during the course of the game. So they stayed with it. And then it 
had the best things to offer that I felt hockey had. It was competitive. It not only had a lot of uh, names that were familiar to people who had not really followed hockey, but they knew enough to know some familiar names. And then it had this element in hockey that is always thrilling in that you can't turn it off. Not only for the gravity of the game in that there were gold medals and silver medals were going to be given out after, but it was the last minute and the goaltender was pulled and the outcome was in doubt. And then Zach Parisi scored. And then there was an intermission and more people started letting other people know that the gold medal game was going to overtime. And then there was this magnificent conclusion uh, in that uh, Crosby scored on Ryan Miller, who had had a gallant performance. Mm -hmm. And afterward, um, I remember I didn't say much for a long period of time as they had handshakes and our geniuses in the truck, probably just like Canada's, showed the elation of one team, the dejection of the other, the good sportsmanship of, hand, of shaking hands. And then we got a chance to uh, run Pierre's interviews with Ryan Miller, the losing goalie, and Sidney Crosby, the victorious goal scorer, and how both of them commented so much about how good it was to be in the Olympics, and, uh, and they spoke well about not only being in the game, but everything else. And I came away from that day uh, probably never being more proud to be around hockey and around hockey players uh, than I'd ever been in my life. And that's probably why that game stands out uh, more than any other game that I was involved in. And Pierre wasn't on the crew, but he was a part of the show. Yeah, and that was one of the clips I found that I wanted to use. Too bad, but hey, great minds think alike. <laughs> Jimmy, you asked me a question once. What's the best game I was ever part of? And I told you, the gold medal yep. game in the 2010 Olympics. Yep. It was. It was out of that. And the way Doc just described that is unbelievable. I've never heard a description like that. Yeah. And while that was the most watched game in U.S. TV history since 1980, in Canada, 26 million people watched that game. The population at that time of Canada was 33 million people. Good grief. Wow. Is that right? Wow. wow. Jimmy, I got Jimmy, I gotta tell you this great Doc Emmerich memory. We, okay. we it, and it's in it's in Vancouver again. We call game seven with Eddie uh of the Vancouver Boston series. And Doc and I, when it's over and we're done, we get into a car service to catch the first flight out of Vancouver. And as we're going to the airport, people are throwing Molotov cocktails off the bridge because they're so upset. And Doc and I are sitting there going, We're gonna get blown up. It was unbelievable. It really yeah, was. We got to the uh, we got to the airport, and Pierre was the mem was a member of this exclusive club, and he was able to get me in with him. And we watched on TV in shock. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. As the TV cameras were covering what was going on downtown in Vancouver. And... Uh, 
transition. I am so happy to see. And I wonder, I wonder, you guys, if you have an opinion on how much credit Bruce gets for what the Canucks are doing this year. Uh, I felt I always feel that Bruce doesn't get adequate credit sometimes for what he does. But I really felt that he had done an awful lot last year toward the uh, toward the wonderful showing that the Canucks are having this year. But but maybe not. You guys are closer to it than I. Uh, where I am right now, I don't have the NHL package and uh, not having to watch games that begin at 1030. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't see the Canucks as often as I should to comment. Well, I don't know. I, I think, you know, he did. The, the players loved him. You know that. I mean, he, that wasn't an issue. So I think he deserves some credit as well. And as we've said many times, Pierre, uh, Rick Tockett. I mean, he has to be. Yes. The Jack Adams Award uh, front runner right now. Yeah, yeah they, he's done a wonderful job too. That's for sure. Rick is. Uh, Rick seems to make everything better once he comes in too, like he did before. But those are, gosh, those. I, I remember. I used to use the word hatcheted to describe his slap shot in Philadelphia because he would draw <laughs> the stick way back over his shoulder like a golfer would, way back. And then follow through, and, and not everybody did that, but um, it was nice to know him at that time, and it's always nice to know him now. But uh, Bruce might be coming back someday for uh, another run at it. Hard to know. Well, they always found we're, him. We're going to get Bruce on the eye test, Doc. I know that's yeah. what we're going to get on. With we're all good. One What's of your favorite up? players, Ned Braden, was 78 yesterday. <laughs> Probably still, uh, uh, maybe maybe Diamond Hands could give him a couple of lessons if he was up to it. You know, in the 2014 Olympics in Sochi, Doc and I were two of the first people boots on the ground. We came over from New York on a chartered aircraft with some NDC officials, and it was, Doc, I think you would say probably the most arduous travel to an Olympic Games for us. Would you agree? Yeah, and I uh, remember the first night we, we all got together and walked around on the grounds, and uh, it was it was kind of lonesome out there in the wide open spaces with the, the uh, arenas sort of standing around. And one other memory I have from that, and I think Pierre noticed it too, is uh, there was very tight security, and yeah. it seemed to me, you know, you couldn't go to one fence and go to another without a security person scanning your pass. Mm-hmm. And after the Russian team was out, those gates were standing open. They, yeah. they, there was, it was Huge. not a matter. It didn't matter anymore. But they, they sure were keyed up for, uh, for the Russians to win. They did win the world championships later in the year, but they did not win the <laughs> They sure did. Yep. Oh, boy. But I, I, just what Doc said, and I, I didn't rehearse it with him, Jimmy, but that's what I remember the most from Sochi was how upset the Russian fans were when they lost in the Olympics and how upset they were when they lost in the TJ Oshie shootout game. Mr. Putin was sitting right behind me. I was between the benches, and I turned around. I, I thought, like, if looks could kill, he would he would have had a lot of murders on his hands. Oh yeah, the coach coach didn't last much longer than that. But uh, TJ, I remember TJ said to you, and he also said to Dan Patrick once he got got on that show, and on the Today Show, he kept saying, "You guys are making too much of this. 
<laughs> well, I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, this was uh, even though it wasn't uh, even though it wasn't the big showdown game that it was in '80. I mean, it was it was kind of approaching sort of a Mike Aruzioni yeah. moment because yeah. of the drama of scoring four goals on six shots. Yeah. But it was one of the all-time fun things. And I remember asking him in Chicago when he came in with St. Louis about a month later if that was the biggest moment of his life. And he said, no, about two weeks after we got home, I saw the birth of my first child. That was not too There you go. That's right. That's right. Well, I remember doing the Stanley Cup final when he was a member of the Washington Capitals and his father was ill and, you know, we got him on the air and, and he talked about his father's debilitating disease. But that callback game with Eddie and I, and, and it's one of those you, you always remember. And that was the great save, right, Doc, by the Washington Capitals? Unbelievable. Yes, absolutely. We were at one end and Pierre was fortunately on the opposite side. So he got a better look at it than we did. Because when the puck came across, all the fans stood up. But uh, Pierre was able to, to help out on that because he got a clear look at it from down near the benches. Uh, mm -hmm. But it was a magnificent save. And uh, you can always overemphasize how much those things change a series. But it seemed to me it made a big difference. And I think it did to Pierre, too. And Washington was long overdue to get a championship. And that year when they scored you know, when Kucherov uh, got the big goal in overtime and they got past Pittsburgh, finally, finally yeah. they were they were on their way. But it looked like they were not going to make it there because they lost the first two to Columbus yeah, in the very great. first round. Absolutely. And it uh, took overtime for them to reverse their field and come back. And so yeah, all of those things, the difference between winning and losing is so small. Well, you know, Jimmy, we got off hits the crossbar and maybe San Jose beats Toronto, right? Yeah. yeah. Way back when. I, I uh, Jimmy, guess. you were only four. I, <laughs> no, I was I was older. Okay. I'm not as young as you think. I appreciate it though. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I want to ask you guys too quick before we we let Doc go, but I mean, and I don't want to let us, if he can stay more. We just don't want to keep you too long, Doc. But. No, no, that's all. That's all right. I turn into a pumpkin at four fifty. Okay, perfect. Yeah, you should you should see it. This Michigan hat turns into Michigan State, and all kinds of bad stuff happen. <laughs> so, so I want to ask you guys when when you started working with the NHL and NBC together, um, you know, what was your vision? Uh, for what you guys were going to do for the broadcast and just for the game. And I guess, you know, when it was all said and done, how much did you feel you accomplished that? So I'll let, I'll let you start, Doc. Oh, well, I I was uh, a guy that was amazed at uh, what our, our sports producer and producer of hockey, Sam Flood, came up with because I didn't think it would work. You're going to you're going to have the coaches do live interviews and then uh, and then have them uh, played back. You're going to have them tape during the game, during mm -hmm. a period in a stoppage of play. They're not going to go for that. And Pierre was the guy that had to bring it off. Then you're going to you're going to have them give up 36 inches or maybe 24 inches of space between the benches to us. And, and we're going to be down there and, and have a guy down there to comment on the game within earshot of the players. Well, they're not going to go for that, but they did. And yeah. now 
it's a standard in the business. And that was all created. Sam Flood thought of it, got it uh, approved by the league. The coaches went for it. The teams went for it. And Pierre was the guy that had to do it. And I'm glad it was him. And the first time we tried it out was Philadelphia and Detroit. It was a regular season game that we did not broadcast. Mm-hmm. But it was um, it was back to back. And the next morning, after we had done the rehearsal game, we went to uh, Joe Louis Arena to practice. Pierre and I were standing down near the bench. And Kirk Maltby walked down the tunnel to go out onto the ice. And he turned to us. And he said, awesome stuff last night, Pierre. And I'm thinking that if one of the players heard what Pierre was saying and thought it was good, maybe we got something. Yep. And as it turned out, we did. And I think we did a lot of good for the league during the time, 16 years that we had the rights to that. I think we did a lot of good, and I was proud of what we did. Your turn, Pierre. <laughs> What I remember the most from when Sam Flood approached me is at the 2004 Stanley Cup final, and uh, it was in Tampa. I was sitting with Gordon Miller and Bob McKenzie doing a pregame show for TSN, and Sam, when we were off the air, came up to me and says, can I talk to you? I said, sure. And he says, do you think you can broadcast a game from between the benches? I said, yeah, I think I can. He goes, do you think you could work with Doc Emmerich and John Davidson? I said, yeah, I know I could. I mean, what an honor that would be. It'd be amazing. So he goes, good, you got the job. So then we had the <laughs> nuclear <laughs> then we had the nuclear winter. We didn't have hockey for a whole winter, Doc. Right. Remember, yeah. Jimmy. And then we did the rehearsal game in, in Detroit, and we had a seven-game final between Carolina and Edmonton. It was really good, even though those two teams don't really resonate in the United States ratings-wise, it wasn't a disaster. But when I knew inside the glass and the NHL and NBC was gonna work was the next year. We went to Brian Burke. The final was in Anaheim. But before we got to the Ottawa-Anaheim final, we had to do a lot of other series that Anaheim was involved with. And one of them was with Colorado. And we went to Brian Burke and said, you don't have an inside-the-glass position. Could you let Pierre work from between the benches? And Berkey goes, yeah, absolutely, especially if Mike Emmerich's involved. I'm not kidding. So I didn't know that. I stood on the bench. We we did that in the weight room of the Anaheim Ducks. Brian was down there riding the bike. He was by there by himself, and Sam got him to agree. So I stood on the bench by the defense coach, and I stayed at that end. So every period it would change. But one time I made a comment. I said, that was an egregious turnover on the bench. And Sean O'Donnell, the defense, would move behind me. He goes, what does egregious mean? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't stop. Now we're in the middle of a playoff game. Niedermeyer's there, Pronger's there, Boschimer's there, and O'Donnell turns around and goes, what's just mean? And he, he might have been turning around. But it was it was priceless. And even Randy Carlisle kind of smirked a little. He's a tough cookie. That's awesome. but, but that's when I knew inside the glass was going to work. That's great. That's great. You got you guys called so many after that. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Well, Doc, we appreciate you joining us here in uh, – we have to have you on again. This was very special. Pierre and I were looking forward to it. And uh, as always, it lived up to the billion. Thanks a lot. You're Let's the best. Box. You're yep. the best. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, uh, Doc. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you Doc. Okay. Jimmy, you need a week. Just yeah. a week with that, man. I'm just telling you, to see what he does for so many, 
humans and animals. Oh, I'm wow. just telling you. He, he's yeah. an amazing. So he and his wife have an animal rescue farm in Port Huron, Michigan. They do so much for so many people and animals. It's it's it's, it's an amazing. He's this really special human being, and as nice as he seems, he really is like that. Yeah, he, like yeah. it's not put on. He's Rare. Yeah, it's genuine. What what he he didn't say it, and I'm going to say it for him. One of the most heartbreaking things we had in an Olympics. We were walking together. You know how we talked about we walked around in Sochi, the two of us, and there was nothing there. I'm telling you, it was dark. It was cold. It was lonely. It was it was tough. It was way different. All of a sudden, I heard gunshots, so I kind of grabbed Doc. I, yeah. Security were shooting dogs, and they were shooting the dogs. And Doc loves animals, all animals. And that was to see his reaction was heartbreaking. It really was. Like, he wanted to go – and so one of the big stories out of that Olympics, David Backus chartered a plane and flew all these dogs back from Russia to try to save them and put them into animal shelters and get them adopted. And I think David did an unbelievable job with that. But Doc was right there talking with him about it. it that first night when we walked around was pretty spooky. And, I, you know, I've been some of the worst parts of the world in terms of hockey. That one was a strange night, I can tell you. That was a real strange night. Of course, look what happened since. I mean, so, yeah, it's that must have been horrifying, to say the least. I mean, that's brutal. Um, Pierre, I just, yeah, he's just so genuine. And, like, it's one of those guys that you you just sit there and you, you learn so much. And I don't – sometimes I wonder if he knows how much the people around him are learning, listening to him. And it's – does. Yeah. Anybody that ever worked with him – down yeah anybody that ever worked with him would be sure to tell him i'm so grateful the time that i spent with you and and i've learned so much from you um you know again some of the priceless moments hanging out with scotty bowman before games and working with him on the bench and then i used to tell doc all the time you're the broadcast version for me of scotty yeah you know and i I I actually was thinking that here as we were listening to him i'm I'm being i'm being totally for the like they're so similar in so many ways. One of them is both of them have amazing recall. But secondly, they're not afraid to mentor people. And if you're willing to accept sometimes criticism and sometimes positive stuff, you're going to be better. You're going to get better at stuff. And, and Doc was amazing, just amazing that way. It's great stuff. Good stuff. Well, I'm, I'm so happy we had him on there. And you know what, too? I mean, you're right, Pierre. We should try and get Bruce on, too. Well, we got Bruce We're going to get Bruce on. Bruce will come on. You know, one of the guys I really want to get on, and we'll get him on, is Rick Tockett. And, yep. you know, just I don't like to intrude with guys that have, you know, pro games and they're under. Once we get past the all-star break, I think things start for those guys. They'll know kind of where they are heading mm-hmm. into the deadline. So we'll, we'll get him on. But there's a lot of guys, NHL guys, I'd like to get on. I, I, He's I great think- to have these stories, though. It's just, you know, that's that's what I love about this the most is just listening to that. And, and you know, I think for our viewers out there, Pierre, that watched all these games with you and Doc, for you guys to be able to take them to the human side of it, I, I, I think is something, you know, and that, that's why this was so special. Well, to me, it meant a lot. You know, I texted Doc and within 30 seconds, he was right back. And he's, of course, I'll come on. And, you know, it yeah. just it meant a lot to me. Um because, you know, you, you work with somebody and you really care. And, and so, you know, you get Christmas cards from people. And 
all his notes. I remember when my daughter was graduating from Dartmouth a year mm -hmm. ago, and the note that he sent my daughter, Justine, was just amazing. It was amazing. And, you know, she would come to games whenever we were in New York because we lived in Connecticut then. She'd come to games or my son would come to games and, you know, Doc would explain different things. And it just awesome stuff like nobody would ever know unless you were there. You would never know, you know. Great stuff. Yeah. Well, Pierre, I'm gonna I'm gonna close this out. And, uh, Any questions or no? Uh, yeah, we can take some questions, and then Let's I'll get to. I like one for you when we end this. Let's get to some questions first, and then I got something to play for you at the end. Okay. All right. What do we got? Alfonso Reda says, "Hey, Pierre, I'm a big fan of yours. I have a question that's off topic. Growing up, my favorite player was Pavel Bure, but being from Montreal, I wasn't able to watch the late night games." My question is, in terms of goal scoring, was Bure more exciting to watch than McDavid? I'm going to say yes. They're probably the most similar. I'd say of, of the older players, Bure was probably the most similar to McDavid. What a good question. Was it Alfonso? Yeah. yeah. What, a, what a great question, Alfonso. Um, very similar. Uh, I used to draw game plans, you know, when we were playing against Pavel Bure, um, Trevor Linden, those Vancouver teams. I mean, they, they were – Pat Quinn was a coach. Ricky Lee was the assistant coach back then. They were they were real good team. Obviously, they went to the Stanley Cup final, lost in the Game Seven of the New York Rangers in '94. But um, you know, starting in, in '90 '91, right in there, I remember going into Vancouver. Lot Pavel was unbelievable at that time. You didn't have a lot of guys that could skate like that. Maybe Paul Coffey, maybe maybe Sergey Fedorov, but there were not a lot of guys that could skate like that. Now. You know, they got a lot of guys that can skate like that. But I, I would just say that uh, very, very similar. Pavel is the best sixth-round pick in the history of the NHL. And that's not because of Brian Burke, by the way. Brian Burke stole him in Vancouver. Brian was the assistant GM in Vancouver, and I don't know how they pulled it off because everybody knew how good Burry was, but Berkey found a loophole, and they found a way to get him. Good stuff. All right, next question. For Marvin Matthews, who would be your choice for the Calder if Bedard doesn't win it? That's good. Who do you like, Jimmy? Whew. I, you know what? I have. I'm going to tell you. I think. Yeah. I'm going to say Brock Faber in Minnesota. I I was going to go there. Yeah, I I'd go with Faber too, Pierre. And and it's funny because I I think when we started talking, when you started talking about Faber, right? I think when um. Everson got fired. You said he was going to benefit the most from him. Yeah. And he did. He picked up. He starts racking up those minutes, Pierre. And then, you know, I mean, unfortunately, Bedard gets hurt and he's been out. And I've been thinking about that. It's funny that Marvin brought that question up. Like, that's something we should reevaluate because I don't – is it a lock that Bedard gets it, Pierre? I mean not, – Not if he's missing six more weeks because Fantilli's probably going to pass him in points. Fantilli? Faber's playing almost 30 minutes, 28 Logan to 30. Cooley? Hmm? Yeah, Logan Cooley? Yeah, Cooley, Cooley. I mean, Cooley kind of cooled off. Now he's starting to heat up again. He scored last night in Florida, scored, made a beautiful play the other night against Pittsburgh in, in uh, Arizona. So, yeah, no, he could. But if Fantilli starts to heat up and Faber keeps on this track and, you know, Bedard misses it six more weeks, that's going to be tough for him. Really, so, I mean, I feel bad for you, right? In the, in the beginning of the season, that that would yeah. happen. All right, let's go to another one. Alex Evanowski, if Boston plays Florida in the, in the again in the playoffs, who do you give the advantage to? Florida looks like a team on a mission. 
excuse yeah. me. I'll just say, you know, and I was thinking about this watching a game last night between the Bruins and Carolina. And by the way, I don't think the Bruins want to play Carolina either. They own them over the past five years. Yeah. Um, I, I would give the edge to Florida. I would think, you know, I know there'll be a built-in revenge factor for the Bruins, um, and that that could help. But at the same time, it could distract them. And I think you look at teams like Florida or Carolina, and the Bruins have trouble with them, Pierre, because they're just so tenacious. Their four checks are, are just right on top of you. And and when the Bruins feel pressured, they don't tend to do well. And and you saw that last night. I mean, the Bruins could not get out of their zone for a good portion of that game. I'm going to answer the question this way. I think it's going to come down to what both teams do if they do anything at the trade deadline. I think that's how similar the rosters are. And I think whomever makes the best move at the deadline gives themselves an advantage if those two teams play one another. All right, next question. Rich H., any thoughts on the Women's Professional League? Yeah, I'm shocked. I'm shocked at the hitting. I'm yeah. shocked at how ferocious the hitting is, and I respect the women for doing it, um, but I was not expecting that. I really wasn't, Jimmy, and I don't think anybody was. And, and the, obviously the association signed off on it, and the women signed off on it, and the coaches and the officials signed off on it. The intensity, the, the parity in the league, the physical structure of the league right now, it, I think it's been really good, and it gets better almost game to game, which is great for the ladies. Really, really well done. Yep. Well, I think, too, one thing, and I agree with everything you said, Pierre, and I think the other thing that has helped them so much right now is that it's not two leagues anymore. It's not three leagues. It's not one yeah. league folding. This league coming up. They're unified. They they seem more unified than ever, and they're doing an amazing job of marketing in each city that they're in. Um, there's a buzz. I mean, I he, hear it. They're getting mentioned on, on regular news channels in their sports broadcasts. Yeah, like, which is great. I didn't yeah. say that, that's no knock on women's hockey. It's just that hasn't been the way. So I'm so happy that they're getting the attention they deserve, and they deserve a lot of credit for creating that attention. Okay, next question. I, I agree, I agree oh. 100%. Yep. Next question. The Daigler Reviews. Hi, guys. If Has pick fifth or sixth in the draft, who do you think they will take, and do you think it's possible they pick a D again? I'm gonna say if there's one. I'm gonna say if there's one player available, who they would pick, Cole Iserman. He mm -hmm. slipped a little bit, and I think they they're deep enough on defense. They need scoring, mm -hmm. and Cole's kind of sliding. Look at if you like goal scoring, and I'm not talking about Cole Caulfield. I'm talking about Cole Iserman. Um, he's going to Boston University next year. He didn't play in the World Junior this year. He's underage. Um, I'm going to say he's probably at this point, he's probably coming in anywhere from three to seven in the draft. Mm -hmm. You know, he could slide back, he could slide up. When, if you were to ask me in the first quarter who would have gone second uh, in the draft, I would have yeah. said Iserman would have gone second in the draft. He's, um, he's got raw talent for sure. Yeah, he's got serious talent. But right now, teams are concerned that he's a one dimensional guy and all he does is score. Well, in order to win, you got to score. You know, yeah, no, I'm just telling you. I went yeah. to a prep school game yesterday, Jimmy, and I was I saw a bunch of scouts who I really respect. They're really good, hardworking, industrious guys. They were in Boston last night. They're right. in Minnesota. They're in Minnesota tonight, and they'll be in Detroit tomorrow. And that's how these guys live, you know. And, and yeah. we, talked, we were talking about different players, and one of the guys we talked about was Eisenman. And, and I'm saying he's coming anywhere from three to six based on the intel I have. But if, right. if he's there, I think Montreal will take him. Okay. 
There we go. And they you know what? I, I was, that's something I want to talk about, too. I want to get on the Habs maybe. Either, well, tomorrow's an on-campus Friday, but early next week I want to discuss the Habs because I think it's they're really interesting as we head towards this deadline. All yeah. right, next question. Randy Workman, who is a coach of the year? Well, I think Pierre and I are unanimous on that. Yeah, Rick Tockett yep. right now. Now that could that could change. Um, they could go into a swoon. I don't think they will. But I, I would say, Rick, if you were to ask me right now, the best coaching staff in the NHL, not just the head coach, the whole staff, I would tell you the Vancouver Canucks. Yep. And, and I, I know all the coaches in the league, and I respect them all. Like I've walked in their shoes a million times. I think they're the best staff right now in the league. Yep, I agree. I agree. All right, next question. Alex Ovanowski, where did this narrative that goaltending doesn't matter come from? That's the real question. Oh, my God. Alex, it wasn't me, but it was a lot of my colleagues. I apologize oh for us as a whole in the media. It's 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 just pathetic. It's, it's, I had, I'm going to take I, you back to a time when Chris Osgood won the cup for the Detroit Red Wings, okay? I'm just being totally frank. I had somebody come up to me and say, well, there's the proof that you don't need a great goalie to win. I said, did you ever see Chris Osgood play? I watched him play a medicine hat. I watched him play an Adirondack for the Adirondack Red Wings. I mean, I, I watched him play in a lot of games. He's a really good goalie. Like, I don't know how people formulate. I once had a writer say to me, and I'm not going to say it because I don't want to embarrass the writer. The writer actually said to me, when Andy Murray got hired in L.A., said to me, I can't believe our team hired a high school coach because he had been coaching at Shattuck St. Mary's. They had no idea of the years he had spent coaching in Europe. They had no idea of the years he had spent coaching Canadian University. No idea that he had coached in a Stanley Cup final, not only in Philadelphia, but in Minnesota as well. No clue. Yeah. But yet that was the, I can't believe we hired a high school coach. Yet they had no idea. I know, I know. Pierre, you know, one thing, and with, with that, that'll be it for questions. I apologize. We're up against it, guys. But save him. We'll get more in tomorrow a little after we have uh, Coach Ted Donato from Harvard. We're looking forward to it on campus. I was, talk, I was talking with a coach today. He's excited to come on. So no hard questions for him from you. Let me do the hard question. <laughs> but I want to just say, in terms of narrative, that's one thing that bugs me, Pierre. And, you know, I, I, I think that's one thing you've taught me ever since I've known you was to do research, to, to know before you go out there and you form a narrative or an opinion, you know, be able to back it up. Don't just throw it out there. And I think, unfortunately, in the age of social media mm -hmm. and of, uh, you know, just shock jock radio, it, it's it's become too accepted that people can just throw things out there and then it just blows up and it goes. And, every, and, and even after numerous times when it's proven wrong, people still go with it. And that, that to me is what's so frustrating, but it's just, unfortunately, that's the way things are right now. You know, I said, Pierre, and you know, I was adamant about this. I did not want the Bruins to bring back uh, Tyler Bertuzzi. I just didn't think it was a fit. You I did. didn't ask for too much. And I didn't think he was as good as the numbers said. If you watched his game closely in that series against Florida, he was a turnover machine. He wasn't, he wasn't playing a 200 foot game. And I just didn't think, in reality, I think he was almost a mirage. He wasn't really fitting into that system. And I got hammered for it. And, you know, now crickets. Uh, and how's he doing in Toronto? So it's it's just it's it's a sad reality of our business where these natters get thrown out there and, and they they just become fact to so many people, Pierre. It's wow. it's tough to swallow sometimes. 
this was an amazing show. Doc yeah. Emmerich was spectacular. I mean, if only they could be like him. That's that's oh, what he man. He just that was awesome. How about how quickly he referenced Chuck Caton? That was great, and he's, and that he listened to it. Yeah, he'd heard him he, on our show. You know, Char Charlie's unbelievable, Chuck Caton, and uh, I still I cannot believe. I'm just saying this. I'm throwing it out there. Chuck doesn't need a job. He's fine. I can't believe nobody has called up Chuck Caton and said, we want you to broadcast games for us. Mm -hmm. I'm just telling you. I thought he's not retired, Pierre? No. No, he wants to. I mean, he can work, but I don't know. Something happened there anyways. The long story short is somebody should be picking the phone up and saying, you want to work? Dude, we've got a job for you. It'd be great. He'd be great. Oh, he's so good. He's so good. He's a, He is a legend. Again, you spend time in a foxhole with somebody, you get to find out what their true colors are pretty quick. And I had some amazing, amazing trips with that guy, Chuck Caton, and, and just like with Doc Emmerich, you know, just like with Scotty Bowman. And you got to defer to those people because they're legends in the business, and you learn so much from them. You really do. Well, to close it out, Pierre, I want to play this for you and for Doc, if he's still listening, um, you know, because I thought – you see a lot of goodbyes in TV, movies, what have you, or, you know, goodbye speeches at the end of careers. And I found when I was scrolling through for some Doc clips, I found this clip and it was Doc's final calling off, his final signing off for NBC. So we're going to close the show with this. Thanks to Doc Emmerich for joining us. Thank you to you, Pierre, for setting that up. Thanks to our production crew and thank you to all our viewers there in the chat room. We appreciate it. Another edition of the Eye Test on the Sick Podcast Network. Enjoy this sign-off by Doc Emmerich. Here, we have shown you 16 of these and 16 teams clustered together for one last picture. Teams, exhausted but victorious. Teams. Perhaps in your own life, you have been on a team of people for some time and then seen it come to an end. If so, you will understand how it is with us as we close our time with the NHL on NBC. One of God's greatest gifts is that of memory. We gotta have that hip jumping on One of mankind's greatest gifts is video. As we have watched this last video with you and now carry away our own memories, we are sad for ourselves but grateful for your loyalty to this wonderful sport. And also grateful as we say to you for this final time, thank you. Thank you for watching the Stanley Cup playoffs on NBC. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the eye test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy on YouTube, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts.